Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of On My Grown, the podcast. I am your co-host, Melanie Mitchell. And I'm your other co-host, Rodney Boyd. We have a special guest this week, yeah. um, my mommy, um, Sharon Mitchell. In celebrations of mother, in celebration of Mother's Day. Yeah, Mother's Day, uh, well, not today, but it just yeah. passed two days ago by the time you listen to this. Um, so I'm very excited to have my mom on my podcast. It's like, take your mom to work day. And um, she used to take me to her job all the time growing up. And, you know, the tables have turned finally. And, um, yeah, so we're going to talk about, you know, motherhood, family, you know, sacrifice stuff we've talked about before. But it's nice to get a parental, you know. Someone who's experienced. Right. You <laughs> know, someone who's been doing this. Not so, theoretical anymore. Yeah. Mumsy. All right. Well, I'm so excited to be part of your podcast and certainly <laughs> proud to uh, have an invitation. Uh, and yeah. I'm actually going to talk a little bit about motherhood, but how I actually started the journey of motherhood. Okay. Uh, and certainly for this new generation, before I became a mother, I was actually married. Mm-hmm. Uh, but certainly before I got married, I was a young girl, like most young girls, playing with dolls, uh, thinking about one day I'm going to be a mom. Uh, but for me, that uh, journey was more about having a career than it was about being a mom. Uh, but I started out in a community that was considered as, back in the 70s, that was considered as a uh, low-income, low-poverty level. Uh, and I was like mm-hmm. many young girls and boys during that time that dreamt of a better life, a better life out of the ghetto uh, in terms of how do we have a better life than we saw our parents. And I was in a single family, a single parent home. My mother was a single mother that had four children, mm-hmm. but actually had three in the home with us. My grandmother raised my older sister. So there were three girls, and our mother pushed us to have education uh, in terms of what was going to be our way out. Uh, I saw my mom have great work ethics of getting up early in the morning. Uh, we had the extended family where I had an aunt that actually monitored us. Uh, and at some point, we were considered as what they call latchkey kids. We went to school, came home, we had the key. Either it was a yarn around our neck with the key or we had it pent on our clothes. Uh, but we were pushed to excel in academics and be involved in community activities such as church, Girl Scouts. Uh, and I grew up during a time where community was a part of raising children. Where, yeah. Yeah, you know, your neighbors could actually say something to you and correct you, you and <laughs> whoop you and, and report whatever you did before your mother, uh, before your parents came home. So that's a little bit about my backstory. In terms of just having a a view of what life could be like outside of what we know as the hood. And as a result of that, um, I was a part of the first generation of children that were part of segre- uh, desegregation. And I was part of an integration where I went to school with white kids. And that began a journey of understanding a better system in terms of books and education and going mm. forward. So that's how I grew up, Melanie. I think you know some of that. Yeah. Uh, so from that point... I went through high school. Uh, I went to a high school that was predominantly white. I, there was about 5% blacks at the high school I attended. I mm-hmm. was bust out of my community. Springs, right? Miami, Miami Springs. Springs Senior High. I grew up in the Miami area. Uh, I was in a community that was referred to as Brownsville. And in that community, I lived in a development that was referred to as the Hampton House. But it was a area with apartments that also had hotels where when entertainers who came to town like James Brown, who could not stay in white hotels actually had an opportunity to stay in our in our community. Wow. So that was a great exposure also. We got mm-hmm. to stand as little children seeing the stars arrive and uh, they would Crazy. certainly talk to us and it, it was another way of us dreaming that things could be better, that one day we could be something. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. 
Um, okay, so you went to a predominantly white high school. So college, I always found this story interesting. Your college choice. So you, gra- uh, well, I don't want to say what year you graduated. I want you to slap me. But um, well, I, I had a question because okay. you said mm-hmm. you were part of desegregating the schools. Correct. What, what was that like for you? Like mm-hmm. you know, we we you know we see pictures, we mm-hmm. see you know very um, hostile environment. You know, from you know movies and, and things were, that were depicted, but as a child that was, mm-hmm. you know, there, what was that like? How did that affect your you know your ability to focus on books and? Well, I think part of uh, our, my experience was not as much as the deep south. I grew up in Florida, and so the okay. com- the area that I was in in Florida, uh, it was still a melting pot where we had people from a lot of nationalities. Like we were. I lived through the era where you had a lot of Cubans coming from Cuba. Uh, So we were somewhat of a melting pot to some degree. Uh, So I didn't have the sense of people throwing rocks at us as we were trying to get on the school bus. That was not my experience. It was very different, however, because we were a community school where before we actually integrated into white schools, I walked across the street. The school was in my community. We then became bus where we had to be up very early in the morning, standing on corners waiting on buses. Uh, and going into an environment that was totally foreign to us in terms of uh, students, white students, not having black teachers who were part of your community. Yeah. Uh, you know, my teachers at my community, they attended my church. We saw them in the neighborhood shopping centers. And so that was a change from having that support system and people you knew. Yeah. And you knew beyond just them being part of your your educational system, they were part of your community. So now we enter where we got white teachers who in many cases are not necessarily there to make sure you excel. But we were provided with a lot of the basics uh, before we actually transitioned. I went to integrated schools when I was in the fifth grade. And so prior to that time, I had uh, some of the oldest school of uh, African-American teachers who instilled a lot of basic uh, building blocks for us in terms of learning, in terms of, and we had a love of learning. I certainly had a love of love of learning before I got integrated. I think that helped me in terms of that adjustment. Yeah. But no, my experience was not quite like what we saw in some of the communities across the country uh, in terms of uh, the hostility of, of the white uh, parents or groups like the KKK. We did not have that kind of experience. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. That was, I didn't even know, think about asking you that type of stuff, that type of stuff uh, mm-hmm. growing up. But I do know like you and Ruby Bridges around the same age. Like I used to love Ruby Bridges. Remember, um, second grade they showed us that movie. I'm like, oh, yeah. she's six in the second grade, like me, mm-hmm. and she's black. And they threw stuff at her. And I remember she didn't want to um, mm-hmm. eat anything but packaged foods because the white lady had told her that she was gonna poison all her food. So have you seen the Ruby Bridges movie? I haven't. I read the book. Oh, we we watched Years that like ago, so many times in second grade because we loved it. Um, but she only wanted to drink Coca Cola and eat potato chips because she thought that they, her food was gonna be poisoned. Um, yeah, that was crazy. And that stuck with me since I was in second grade. Um, so my question was your experiences with race when you went to college. Cause I always thought, I remember you telling me that story growing up and I was like, wow. Uh, I actually, when I went to school, I, um, my first experience of college, I got accepted to university of Florida, which was in Gainesville, Florida. And again, at the time that I went, the majority of uh, the school was white. Yeah. Uh, it was a community where the city shut down. The entire city seemed to have shut down at eight o'clock. Uh, and we, in turn, as black students who were recruited primarily during the days where they were trying to get black students integrated into colleges across the country and universities across the country mm-hmm. through affirmative action, we, in turn, were recruited. So when I went to college, there were probably about six of us from my high school that went together. So we mm-hmm. had a little bond in that regard. 
and there were other students from across the country, uh, primarily from Florida, who had been recruited as well. So we learned early on that we always had to be in a group, that yeah. we never went away. Uh, you were never alone. You couldn't walk alone. You couldn't be in the city by yourself. Uh, and when I actually went to college, I went the summer before college actually started, before you had the fall. And at that time, we had semesters. And uh, they brought us in as the minority students during the summer months when you didn't have the full group of registered students there. So it allowed us to be orientated in a smaller setting. Yeah. And they used upperclassmen, African-American upperclassmen. I remember uh, when I first went to college, for example, I didn't know how to even do a checking account. And so certainly you, when you went in, we were getting financial aid because they were giving us all the money. Everything was paid for. And it was like, Just oh, come, my God. Please, pellets, come. All the money. <laughs> come and learn these pellets. And, and unlike some of the historically black college experiences, uh, our money was always very quickly dispersed for us. That's so. shade. That's shade coming from this region. Yeah, so. Yeah. <laughs> wow, things have not changed. This <laughs> ain't going to get you your money eventually. Yeah. Right. You yeah. didn't get kicked out for yeah. real, for real. <laughs> so. We would have these huge checks when it was time. I remember during the summer, we had this huge check. Oh, refund check. checks. Yeah, we actually had <laughs> refund checks. Back then, it was checks. like $30. Uh, it was, a, it was yeah. an actual check. Yeah, we had an actual check. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so we had uh, Africa, because, of course, this was more money than any of us had ever even seen in a lifetime yeah. with, with the dollars on the checks. And we, in turn, would have to, they sat down with us and taught. They actually went to us to open a bank account. Mm. Uh, I grew up in an era with my mom where they didn't, you know, they didn't even believe in banks. They didn't have bank accounts. They used money orders. Uh, yeah. Everything was cash or it was money order. It was layaway. Right. Because that generation, mm -hmm. I'm assuming, they went through the Great Depression and That's had a correct. mistrust of banks. That's correct. Mm -hmm. And so they put, they actually uh, sent that kind of uh, mentality to their, their kids. So yeah. we didn't know how to do checking accounts. And it was the African-American students who were mentors for us as we entered college that taught us how to open a bank account, taught us how to do a ledger, taught us how to manage money, taught us how to uh, use a financial aid check and how you have to, why it looks like a large amount of money in terms of a refund check, how that had to uh, help last for the entire period of time before you uh, ran out for the semester. Uh, so that was my first experience. Uh, the good part was because we were there during the summer months, we were all housed together, so you were all African-American. So it didn't seem like you were at this place with all of these white people because they had us very, very co uh, cohesive in terms of the group. So that became a community for me and uh, a family unit, and that was my first experience. And it kind of reduced what we felt once we went outside of those, those parameters in terms of being with one another as a group. Uh, but the city was not kind to us during those days. Uh, we were taught that you couldn't be out at night. You, when the, the street lights went off, uh, you needed to be on the campus. Uh, we had to remain on the campus. And as I say, and although we did all of that, we still had a really good college experience because mm -hmm. we made it what it was in right. terms of the group together. I'm sure. Uh -huh. So I know you eventually transferred back to University of Miami because you said, it, like, because of the racist experiences. So what was the straw that broke the camel's back with that? Well, I found that uh, at the time that I was at University of Florida, my sister, who was a year older than me, was at Florida A&M University. Okay. And so certainly having... She was getting her refund check late. <laughs> she was getting hers late. <laughs> uh, no, none at all. Oh. <laughs> so she was at uh, Florida A&M, and of course, having visited there and seeing the difference in the experience. Uh, and at the time, I was actually in a relationship where... 
the distance was not working for me in terms of relationships. So it was a combination <laughs> of I'm not really feeling this place that great in terms of what I felt was a was a very different environment. First of all, you got to remember coming from Miami and then going to Gainesville at the yeah. time. In the middle of nowhere. In the middle of nowhere. It was not as built up. I remember having, you know, we had one mall, the city shutting down. <laughs> they got that same one uh, mall today. <laughs> right. So so that wasn't, I was considered as uh, having had an experience of a big city experience coming from Miami and going yeah. to Gainesville was not, not the same kind of experience. So the combination of that limited uh, experience along with having been in a relationship I was like, well, you know what? I think I'm going to go to school at home. And so I, in turn, transferred to the University of Miami. However, I actually lived on campus at University of Miami. Okay. Uh, and it's there that I actually started having white roommates uh, when I went to the University of Miami. Uh, having white roommates who were coming from, at the time I went to the University of Miami, it was where you had a lot of elite kids coming from across the country. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a private school, correct? It's a private school. Yeah. Uh, you had kids who had nannies who grew up, uh, white kids that grew up with help. And so the experience of living with them was very different because they had everybody doing something for them. So you had the conflict of the cleanliness, uh, uh, respecting your property and those kinds of things. So that was a different experience as well going to University of Miami. So did they ever treat you like the help or anything? No, because um, it was just what it was. It was a place to lay down and kind of have your experience. And, again, we were always in and out. And often with those types of kids, they had cars at the time. So yeah. they were, it was, when I went to University of Miami, it was known as a party school. So most of the white kids were doing just that. They were partying. So is oftentimes this, they weren't there. Is this during the 70s? During yeah. the 70s. I graduated 70s. In, in 1980 okay. for undergrad. That's correct. It was in the 70s. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. So, yeah, so disco. And yeah. <laughs> hippies. No, hippies more 60s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so. But um, Miami, I don't. Miami, it's like a whole other world. So yeah. stuff, it's not as it wasn't. It was probably, it was it wasn't nearly as built up as it. I know, like I want to say, like the eighties, it got really started, the Miami Vice. Like, Miami Vice yeah. started. Uh, they started putting it on a map in terms of Miami cocaine, Vice, cocaine, cowboys. Yeah, that's really what I was going to reference. Right? Because yeah, I saw the documentary and they were right. saying a lot of their kids were mm-hmm. going to University of Miami. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we came through the 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 drug piece. That's where you got some of your cowboy. Uh, cocaine cowboys you had uh, the jet set lifestyle being displayed uh, and then of course the flip side is that we had the the riots the McDuffie riots uh, where you talked about the inequity of housing and in uh, jobs and the mm-hmm. like for people in the community uh, but the 80s is during the time that I actually went to University of Miami so it was a different time than yeah. what you see now with the people going to University of Miami yeah. mm-hmm. okay um so well, what year did I'm sorry what year did you transfer I went to University of Miami in 1977. Well, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Like, was it freshman, sophomore? Was it I sophomore? actually, it's my sophomore year. Okay. Mm-hmm. So she stayed one year at UF. UF. And then, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, since we're on cocaine, I never really asked this, so why not? You were about our age when, like, crack really hit the streets. Mm-hmm. So how was that, like, seeing your old neighborhood be affected by, I don't know, I, I'm sure it wasn't as New York was affected by crack, but I would imagine the black neighborhood being infiltrated by Ronald Reagan. Well, we had, we had a, we were, uh, for my generation, it was the LSD and heroin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me, by the time I went to college, my mom actually had relocated from the old neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but certainly, pr- as we were try, uh, moving along, trying to go to college, we saw a lot of our friends uh, strung out on drugs, yeah. uh, going to jail, uh, girls having children. Uh, so it became a more depressed neighborhood than it was when, when I grew up. Yeah. Growing up in, in the hood for us was a different experience by the 80s, the time that people, the 80s came around. It became a real 
low-level, poverty-level, people not being able to make it. Yeah. Uh, and by that time, we started seeing a lot of housing projects where people were going from generation to generation for housing projects. Yeah. So I didn't grow up in a housing project, but we started seeing a lot of the development of a lot of my friends and my peers starting with their parents in order just to survive. They started becoming part of government assistance in terms of government-assisted living. Hmm. I'm learning so much. I never really thought to ask you these type of questions in all my years. Um, okay, so you said that when you were in University of Florida, part of your reasoning for, other than you know, visiting your sister, part of your reason for wanting to transfer was being closer to the person you were in a relationship with. So tell us that story, how that happened, <laughs> and then we can just go into the whole love. That's, that's so I promise he don't listen. He don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I actually was engaged by the time I uh, I got engaged once I relocated back to Miami. Oh wow! And uh, but I was still my the person I was engaged to was not a college student. He didn't want to pursue college. Uh, he wanted to pursue private life as a fireman or a police officer or something mm. along that line. Mm. Uh, and so once I was a college student, was still developing a relationship. Uh, there was a, a cheating component, and as I discovered Men. the cheating component. And uh, yes, before you ask, yes, he was light skinned. <laughs> yes, he was. And light brown eyes. Let's not forget that. And had light eyes. That's why mm-hmm. I had and to stay away as, from him. And as her father used to say, and bow legged. Okay? Bo- so bow legged, light <laughs> He was trying to save people from fires with bow legged. Come on now. Hey, man. And that's somebody why you got to listen. Let my, they been, light skinned men, except Sean, have been trash since the 70s. <laughs> I'm lucky. I'm lucky that y'all trash because I probably wouldn't be here. I would. I might be here, but I might look way different. Yes, you would have a total different DNA if that had not changed. And so, <laughs> after getting out of that relationship, I actually was in a sorority, and as part of the sorority, was managing uh, the door at a dance, and some of the the bros from uh, Florida bros. Uh, came <laughs> bra uh, in terms of my uh, uh, my husband Michael. Melanie's father, who was a capper, and he came with some friends. Road tripping? What was that? I said he was road tripping. Okay. Yeah. Even though he came home, but. Yeah, but he came came to the <laughs> dance, and um, since I was at the door, he uh, one of my friends introduced me to him as a slick bitch from FAMU, and I was like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> that don't sound <laughs> good. He sounds trash, but he wasn't <laughs> light-skinned. <laughs> no, he was not light-skinned, Melanie, and so. But the conversation was such that it caught my attention. And as a result of that, we dated for a period of time, uh, had a connection, particularly in terms of the creative side, uh, in terms of goals and and, uh, some of the the value systems. And as a result, we got married. And that's how the story began in terms of Melanie, Melissa, and Monique. Okay. Pause you right there, friend. Um, So with you and Michael's relationship, um, seems like a great guy. How, um, so did you like initially like curve him? Like, did you like reject him at first? Was it like an automatic, okay, this is the one? Or how, how was it? it? was like a little chase. Paint Real the quick, picture. before we go there, mm-hmm. I want to take a step back okay. and talk about mm-hmm. breaking off the engagement. Okay. Because that, you know, that is something I think our audience needs to hear because I think a lot of times people get in relationships. I think mm-hmm. it's forever. It's not. You know, or they get engaged, things fail, and they're at a point where they're like, I've invested too much time, mm-hmm. and they stay in something that's, you know, toxic mm-hmm. instead of having the courage to say, you know what, mm-hmm. I'm better than this, and leaving. Mm-hmm. So if you could just briefly, you know. I know it's still too soon. But I don't want you. <laughs> <laughs> it's only been 40 years. Right. I don't want to open up no new wounds. 
Okay, I think I'm I think I'm recovered enough that okay. I okay. enough that I can talk about it. Okay, bless your heart. Actually, <laughs> a much stronger woman actually, than me. Yes. <laughs> actually, this was a high school uh, boyfriend where I went from high school to college to. Oh, this has got to be, and oftentimes in high school, you know, you, you get your first love, and yep. you're like, you got the butterflies and all of that, and there was no doubt in my mind this was a person, uh, but I had, uh, I grew up in a community where I saw women in all kinds of situations, from men abusing them to not treating them good, and then my own background is my mother was someone who had had a number of relationships with different babies, daddies, and all this business, and I had seen a lot as a young girl in terms of what I felt I wanted as a woman. Okay. And so all of that mixed in and just the whole cheating and what I felt in terms of the betrayal and all of that, that was enough for me to say, you know what, I could do better than this. And then I was very career-oriented that uh, my posture was, is this person even on the same path that I'm on in terms of what I'm pursuing? I had I had paved the way for myself in terms of what I wanted. I wanted to be an attorney. I was going to be a career student. I was going to go to school from undergrad. I had already decided all of this is what I was going to do. And he didn't have a very similar view in terms of what he wanted in life. And yeah. In fact, he was real unsure about what his future would look like. And so that component in itself was a little bit different and disjointed in terms of us being on the same journey. And so having had that along with the, the cheating component <laughs> and then meeting people who were dynamic in many ways. Okay. And then, of course, you see this person and say, well, you know what? Why am I with this I guy? Can do <laughs> I can do better than that. So yeah. from a biblical standpoint, y'all are unequally yoked. Well, yeah, in that sense, um, even in terms of my uh, religious values, I had grown up Baptist. I had a very strong Baptist foundation. She grew up Catholic. It was very different. Yeah. Uh, wasn't uh, There were some differences in terms of, uh, what he felt God was and how committed he was to that whole process. So that component. So it was just a mixture. But, uh, you know, my 20-year-old self, 19-year-old self was very different. I was an old soul in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of always knew what I wanted, and I just didn't feel like this guy was going to go there with me. Yeah. And so that's how we ended up breaking up um, and – it's like, no, you know what? Once I'm breaking up with you, there's some other there's some other options out there. Yeah. And that's what I say to young women. I talk to my daughters all the time about you're better than that. Uh, you can, you know, you attract who you are. Um, and you have choices in life. And you make those choices. But you certainly shouldn't be in a relationship where you don't feel you can be the best you that you can be. That's great. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, okay. I love that. Uh, young lady who needed that message. Okay, out good. there in the podcast world. So, um, yeah, so She's my question. She's going to take them back, though. She is. But <laughs> listen to Sharon. You can find your mic. That's right. Um, yeah, so my question was, now that I have a little bit more background, I can add to my question. So, I mean, I know you said that you curved dad at first. Um, but do you think that your relationship with Danny kind of, ooh, kind of dropped some names. Sorry. He not listening. <laughs> he might. He might have found me. He might. He might hey, be kind of hey, still hurt. You, uh, you know that girl. So, that Sharon, you, um. Your daughter got a whole little podcast. You should check it out. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry, Mom, for dropping names, but it's, uh-huh. it's been 40 years. Um, do you think that your relationship with him kind of added some skepticism when it came to that? Like, you, your guard was kind of up a little bit when you met him? Or how, how far along, like, between the breakup and meeting Dad was it? Oh, it's, it's probably some time before I met your dad after the breakup with Dad uh, with him. Uh, your dad just being slick Mitch in itself. Uh, <laughs> game. All his bag, baggage and, as you say, game to itself. So um, that in itself uh, and what his re- reputation was in terms of 
uh, having different women and the whole white, but at the frat time, boy. and he was a frat boy. But at the time that I met him, he was transitioning towards becoming a minister. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, at the right time. I was like, like I just but, got saved yesterday, actually. They drugged me out. So. <laughs> I ain't even that slick Mitch no more. No, that is right. old. I you am know, a new creation. He got killed in an accident. Yeah. You know, he's no longer alive. He's dead now. I'm a new creation. Right. But that in itself, believe it or not, was a, a deal breaker for me uh, because I also understood the commitment that it took if you were going to be someone that was really serious about ministry mm-hmm. uh that was going to be the the pastor's wife or the preacher's wife okay. and i had decided that that didn't fit in my plans either yeah. it was a different <laughs> so, era first was, lady then. right it, it really i don't was, even know what kind uh, of example i would use because it's not like you had you know well you, you know the big pastors at the time because it wasn't like yeah. no mega churches or tv churches at the well, time there was, was it there were large there were large churches i mean we had we had i mean the baptist church in itself uh the tradition of the baptist church was always very organized uh it was always a perception of who the first lady should be yeah you had game up that's children. probably what it was you had hats ready to be <laughs> she looked like she could wear a hat it's like, I don't, like mike no, i love it but it's, i don't have a head for a hat and i don't think Another so question. Was, so that was a that was a that was a deal breaker for me hmm. uh, for the ministry. For the ministry. Yeah. So me being silly, I have to ask. So you know, you you mentioned that your sister um, attended FAMU at the same time that you were attending UF. So of course, she was at school at the same time as Dad too. Mm-hmm. Um, so did you like ask her like you know somebody named Slick Mitch who go to the Kappa Yay High? Yeah. Well, I mean, he was he was popular on the campus. Everyone knew him. Mm. And, and remember, I talked about my sorority sister actually introduced me to him. Oh, so she knew him, so too. So she knew all the, all the ins and outs. <laughs> I mean, she knew all the background. So I had I had the, the background information. <laughs> like, I know all about you. <laughs> I got you right. So was, and he was from the city. He was from Miami. So Well, was, he was in a part of the city that I was, didn't frequent. So I didn't know him mm-hmm. from, the, from the city. So he was on one end of town. I was on another end of town. So I didn't know him from the city. But... He had a, a name on the campus in terms of Florida and them, so everybody knew him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sounds familiar. No, no, it's me. Yes. Well, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> and I think one of the other things is he actually was, uh, he was a DJ in wow. Tallahassee also. Yeah, he was on the radio. He was on the radio. Um, was that his DJ name, Slick Mitch? Slick, uh, DJ D- uh, Bella, what was it? Jazz Belafonte was his DJ name. <laughs> Just so, extra for no So you can jazz see <laughs> jazz. And, of course, it had a whole ring to it as well. Uh, you couldn't just say jazz, but funny. It was yeah, he was really jazz, big on the radio. Funny, but he w- he had a following on the radio. Wow. Uh, he did play-by-play <laughs> play on sports. Uh, he did uh, newscasting for the for APA. Uh, so he was he was, he was a, he was a director of all trades as it relates to journalism, uh, just creativity, the whole works. Uh, one of our first dates was actually – at one of the games, we they used to play the fo- football games in Miami. Uh, we used to oh, call the Orange Blossom Classic. Classic. Okay. And he was doing what they call the play-by-play on the field with the football game. And so one of my dates with him, I was actually in the press box. Oh, flex. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I was starting to change my mind yeah. a little bit. Stick <laughs> with me, baby. You got to take you places. Girl, so you got money. Hold on. I wasn't like it at first, but he got money. Girl, I was in the press box. <laughs> yes, girl. So, Hold on. I got to call this play. <laughs> Can I do the flex? Right. Girl. <laughs> it was social media back then. Yeah, so that was a, that, so that kind of, but the conversation was and the goals and what I felt was in terms of his his future and what he thought about his future and uh, I felt like he was going some places. So that's how we went fast forward from I don't know about you to okay we get married. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to marry him. Yeah. 
And that's so that's so how we, that's the backdrop of our story. Um, it's amazing, you know, how young people got married back back then because you got married at 22, and I'm currently 22. And if someone proposed to me today, I'd be like. I'm good. Um, we can sit on it, yeah. <laughs> sleep on it, think. It's a promise ring. Like, you sure? <laughs> no Tiffy Evans, no right. Sierra. Uh, it's just, I don't know. I don't know what it what the difference is these days, but people just aren't. Like, you know, you see them random people from high school that got three kids and married already. Mm-hmm. But, like, vast majority of people were getting married super young, and I feel like our generation is just getting married so late. Do you think it was, like, something with you guys' upbringing that made y'all ready sooner? Or were y'all even ready and y'all just got ready in the process of already being married? Or do you think you were ready when you got married? Well, I think, as I as I told you, uh, I was older in terms of age than the number itself. Mm-hmm. And you got to remember, our generation was saying the same thing about our parents who got married a lot. Yeah, 16. Did. They got married 14. 15, yeah. Right, they got married. 14, so 15, everybody's so everybody's pushing just pushing it back, right. <laughs> well, I got married so, at five, so. <laughs> so 21, 22 for my age group, for from their perspective, was late. You were old. Uh, you were old. Uh, old maid. Then. Right. Wow. And, and a lot of the generation in the past was their whole hope was that you not do a lot of dating so that you didn't have promiscuity, mm-hmm. you didn't have fornication, you didn't have sex outside of marriage. And so all of that was designed to, to protect you in that regard. Mm-hmm. I think for us also, in my generation, in terms of, 22 back then compared to 22 now was a little different in that we had a lot more responsibility. Uh, I think that your generation 22 is a little more privileged, has had a lot offered to them, has not had struggle, has not had the kind of uh, we had to make it happen on our own. Uh, You know, when I talked about going to uh, the white high school, I mean, I was riding the bus at 5 o'clock in the morning on my own without my mom waking me up. Uh, because we were very goal-driven. We knew that if we didn't make it through education and hard work, we were not going to get out of the hood. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that's true. 22 for you all now is, oh, well, you know, if I don't go to school, I got so many other alternatives. I can be an entrepreneur. I can do this. Rap. I can do that. <laughs> Log. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, YouTube. YouTube yeah. Right. You, I mean, you could... I mean, you know, you got uh, Kim Kardashian, those making a name for themselves. Ray J. Uh, you know. $100 million. Yeah. Dollar. <laughs> and then the younger sister doing lipstick. I mean, yeah. so that was not, those were not the kinds get you of some options new boobs that we and had. the booty and, and go to the stars these days. Yeah, so, Instagram. So yeah, it was Instagram a, model. Yeah, so it was a different uh, era in which I came in terms of what 22 was like by way of maturity, by way of uh hard work by way of building a life for yourself compared to what your 22 is today. Hmm. So I think that the, uh, and, and of course we talk about the generation now because you've had a lot from parents like us who yeah. didn't want you to have that struggle. Yep. We, we gave you a lot more than we probably should have. And so some of the work ethics are not there. Some of the struggles are not there. I really do feel She's that. Uh, at you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel quite She's attacked. Sorry. Use that e word entitlement, but uh, she is she is destroying it on your show. On my show, said I've been actually waiting. Well, I couldn't spoil myself. I'm gonna send her the old episodes and let her know how you just be talking. Right. So it's a little it's a little different, Um, but again, uh, your generation is a lot more daring, a lot more adventurous, fun, uh, a lot more uh, lives life fuller. Yeah, Uh, you know, 22 now. some of your age group, you know, they will travel. They've been exposed a whole lot more mm-hmm. compared to what we did. Yeah. Uh, they're a little more open-minded. Uh, they can mix and mingle in all kind of circles. Uh, and so their world is a lot more 
uh, vast than our world was. Makes sense. So, so there, there's a difference in that regard. Where you all, your generation was, you know, you first go to college and, mm -hmm. and you know, looking to build stability and get that American dream of, of the, of the, of you, know, you know, that middle class house. That's correct. You know, we grew up in it, so we're saying, where do we go from here? Let's explore. Mm -hmm. Let's let's be different. Wow. That's correct. You know, uh, I, most of my peers, you know, we were, you get into a job, you get you security, you loyal, <laughs> you, you, you're loyal to the Lord. company. <laughs> yeah. And you know, your generation is like, Hey, every two years, it's like, I don't been What did you just say to me? Oh, I'm quitting. Bye. Right. So <laughs> I don't have to take this. I saw a job on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. It's so easy. Back then you had to right. get the classifieds, the, mm -hmm. the yeah. newspaper and circle. And yes. Now these days. You can apply at your job. <laughs> <laughs> to another job. Right. right. On, the, on the other job's time. Right. Yeah. So. And leave for lunch and go interview for the job, on yeah. the job. And I, th and I think, mm -hmm. you know, I know, like, in t talking to some peers, seeing the recession and mm -hmm. seeing how some companies just let people's parents go mm -hmm. who have been there for years. Yes. It's like, why right. give them loyalty when right. mm -hmm. they're not loyal to Yeah, and I think mm -hmm. I, um, for my generation as well, we saw our parents be in these mm -hmm. jobs that they clearly hated and that was taking a lot of them, a lot out of them mentally. It's like, I don't want to be like my mom, you know, or mm -hmm. I don't want to be like my dad. He, and they, he got let go from Enron and we, our lives plummeted and stuff like that. So... That mm -hmm. is, I think, us millennials, we're quite interesting. You know, they always write, millennials aren't buying houses. Millennials aren't yeah. owning cars. Millennials aren't mm -hmm. doing this. It's like, we've seen our parents. We've seen, what we, like, mm -hmm. you know, we don't want to be unhappy. We're like, okay, I'm going to just go to Guam. Like, forget it. I'm starting to go fund me. I'm going to Guam. <laughs> go fund me, right. <laughs> it's, it's lit. Like, do you have the money? For no. Instagram real quick. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, hey, everybody, cash at me. I'm about to go to Zimbabwe for the week. Right. Like, we're just so, I don't even mm -hmm. know, like, adventurous. We're more open-minded and then you know we have the whole like people are more woke now you know we're more our world is smaller that's yeah. the biggest thing you know with the internet where she right. said you know mm -hmm. she didn't know your father and he was mm -hmm. in the same Grand city, city just across mm -hmm. the town mm -hmm. right. you know like that's mm -hmm. unheard of mm -hmm. you know like if mm -hmm. he was popular it's like oh he got all the followers mm -hmm. on instagram right. like, oh my i know my yeah, yeah i see i follow mm -hmm. you don't know like that's how it's, mm -hmm. yeah, it's just it was more organic world. back then it was more like mm -hmm. You knew it was fate, you know, yeah. and, and yeah. these days, like, oh, I just saw you on my Explore page. But, like, back then, it was like, oh, yeah, I ran into you in person. There's no mm -hmm. catfish back then because you got to see people yeah. in person to even see them. So, yeah, that was, that's beautiful. So, let's move um, mm -hmm. now into motherhood and, yeah. and, and, no, and that aspect. Um, so, you and Melanie's father get married. Mm -hmm. How soon after <laughs> do you have your first child? We Five have, minutes. <laughs> we have our first child, the first year of marriage. So, oh, okay. the honeymoon, uh, baby. Yeah. So we, in turn, because as I say, we were we were on the journey of you know we in this Christian walk, and uh, we had all the conflict about do you have birth control, do you not have birth control, uh, and for me though, I know that it it was still a God thing because I was going to be this career person. So children would have come later in life. Yeah. For me. Uh, so we had the first child, the first year of marriage, and we waited five years and had the next child, and then we waited Question. another seven and had another child. Um, yes. yes, we were very spaced out. Right. But um, mm -hmm. so how did you find out you were pregnant, like, with each each time? That's something I always wanted to know. You always wanted to know? Um, with, Me with Melissa, I didn't really know that I was pregnant. And my grandmother, this is really interesting because they tell you people can tell when you're glowing, et cetera. My grandmother one day looked at me and she said, like you're pregnant i was like no i don't think i'm pregnant no no not me like with drinks right drink about fish and so no she just looked at me and she just said she could tell i was glowing it was a different look and so that's how i discovered i was pregnant with melanie uh i mean with melissa the oldest one and then of course the second one it was a planned pregnancy for monique where we talked about okay we've got this first child uh we we don't want siblings to be too far apart but 
we decided then it would be planned and we would have spacing yeah. uh, would allow us. We talked about the long term in terms of college. You got one in, you got one out, you got time between the two going away. Uh, and then, of course, with Melanie, we waited another seven years. And uh, Melanie's father is an only child. So if he could have had his quiver full, he would have that would have been fine with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we wanted to have uh, being in ministry, uh, traveling and having trying to have a career. Uh, we understood that you can have, we wanted to have children that we could afford and then yeah. provide the kind of life for them that we could manage. Yep. And so we spaced the children. So the oldest and the youngest are 12 years apart yeah. as a result of that. Um, but learning about pregnancy was because the last two pregnancies were actually planned. Uh, and of course, I don't know if Melanie remembers, I had a miscarriage before I had Melanie, the last child. Mm-hmm. Um, and after having had a, a miscarriage, that was the debate of, do we even try to have another child? And then we determined that, you know what, we're going to do this again. And and always in hopes of having a boy, but that didn't quite happen for us. So we got three girls. Uh, And, of course, (laughs) uh, Melanie's father says that she was his last greatest act. Funny story time. So, yeah, the way he he called me his last great act. And um, I remember it was like right before he passed, he was taking me to school. And he was so against me changing schools because, like, the school I would have went to is literally down the street. That's why I went ninth grade. And then there was a magnet program at Columbia. I say that yeah. very loosely. But that's what that's what Sharon wanted. She said it's a magnet program. I was like, all right, you got it. So he went, and it was ten times worse than MLK. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was way more ghetto. Way more hood. Um, like, it was just whatever. They just hit you with but the I, magnet, and you was like, oh, okay. I was already there, so I was like, whatever. It was supposed to be a magnet for technology and math and science, which was supposed to be the, the ticket for girls. Yeah. They were recruiting girls yep. for... But, Ain't now when I got there. Oh, <laughs> then they tried to get me. They tried to get me. Um, we went to the meeting to go to IB for MLK. But I was like, Mom, I'm already here. I may as well just stick it out because I'm already here. Um, should have went back though because the boys are cuter. But anyway, see. So he's taking me, so. taking me to school, and he was like annoyed and like huffing and puffing because he didn't want to take me. I was like, Look, <laughs> you laid down and had me, so you have to deal with taking me to school. I did not ask to be born. But you will take me to school. And his response, hilarious, and this is where I get my inappropriate humor for. He said, actually, when we made you, we were standing up. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> you got it. <laughs> just, just go. Just, just turn. Oh just God. come on. I can't. So, yeah. I mean, I was the finale, I guess. That was, you yes. know, I'm glad to be mm-hmm. here. I hate that I missed out. I remember being 10 when you told me that you had a miscarriage before you got pregnant with me. Me being dramatic. I had like a full breakdown in my bunk bed. I was like, I miss my brother, man. Like, <laughs> you don't deserve that. Like, but in my mind, it was just like, I had a brother that just didn't make it. But it, I didn't, it didn't click that if I had a brother, I wouldn't be here. Right. Like, they would have been like, oh, no. I'll be good. It's 92. We, we done. Like, that's it. That's it. 94. What's that? Who was doing it? Exactly. So, sorry, bro. Like, rest your soul. But. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you stuck it out one more time. I hate yeah. to seem so grim. <laughs> <laughs> but miscarriage mm-hmm. is something our generation, mm-hmm. I think, is dealing with at a higher rate than um, mm-hmm. previous generations. Mm-hmm. So can you just talk about, you know, getting through that and, mm-hmm. and then, you know, getting to the point where you felt comfortable enough, like, you know what, we're going to mm-hmm. try again for another child. I think for any any woman who has a loss of a child, and of course in my miscarriage, it was earlier in the pregnancy, so I didn't experience how... Some mothers who have losses with miscarriages where they got they starting have to, give right, birth. have to give birth or they've actually started purchasing things. So it was in the first trimester. 
uh, the most difficult part, of course, is that everybody knows you're pregnant. Yeah. Oh, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant. So everybody's excited for you because you're yeah. pregnant. And so when you have to tell people, I'm no longer pregnant, all of the emotion that goes with the loss of that is, I think, what's the most difficult for most uh, mothers who have a loss in terms of a miscarriage. And then, of course, where as you have a loss, the, the question is, if I've lost this one, am I going to be able to have another one or right. is it going to be the same result? Mm-hmm. Uh, and for us, because we had a, uh, a strong Christian foundation, trusting God, believing God, and, and having all those faith components going with that, that's what strengthened us to say, you know what, we're going to have another child and, and it doesn't have to be the same way. Yeah. And so after having decided that we were going to try again, uh, my partial was I had to do a lot, a lot of th- things, things a lot different in terms of work, in terms of rest, and all the things, the okay. natural things that go along with ensuring that you can conceive and carry a baby. Right. You were and a lot more. A lot uh-huh. more careful in terms of uh, my body and how I took care of myself. And then, of course, the, 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 the other side of it is once you've gone through a miscarriage and you get closer to the new arrival of another baby, the excitement and the like, wow, this is a true gift from God because yeah. I lost this one and now I got a new gift. Yeah. And so it made it that much more special by the end in terms of having the last child. Uh, so, but miscarriage is, is, is just like any loss. Uh, you know, some people uh, feel that, oh, it was just in the early stages, but it's still a loss to you because you're expecting something that God right. created for you. And so that's how we got through that loss. And then, of course, having the joy of a, of a new baby where we went through that whole process of saying, here's a new gift, and I'm going to prepare for that one and receive that one. And voila came Melanie, and Melanie's been uh, – I remember when Melanie was uh, little, I used to always tell her she was special. And we have a lot of funny st- stories about her being special to the point that if M- Melissa and Monique said that they were special, <laughs> that meant that they had to have their eyes scratched out by Melanie. Because I was trying to fight them. I'm no, I'm the special, special. <laughs> The special. <laughs> right. Mommy says I'm special. Y'all can't be special. And they would do it just to, like, just to you, they were hey, Mel, I'm right. special. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> they used to just torment me. But, um, you know, I just, you know, thinking of all that you went through, Mom, just make me more appreciative of being alive. And just, you know, just with any woman, you know, mm-hmm. having a baby is a blessing. Um, And even me being healthy is, you know, because I don't want to tell you business, but you were at risk when you were pregnant with me. So mm-hmm. just thinking, you know, I could have been down syndrome or something else could have gone wrong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. I came out so healthy. Yeah, and I was going to say that's high risk whenever you've had a miscarriage. And then I started with Melanie. I was having high blood pressure. No uh, I was I didn't have diabetes, but I was considered as a high risk pregnancy. I was with a number of specialists, the whole works. Um, and Monique, my second birth, actually was born with a cord around her neck. Mm. And so each pregnancy for me, and then she was a cesarean birth. So when you go from a cesarean birth to another birth, there's the concern of, are you going to be able to be naturally delivered? So each of my girls were all special to me in terms of how God just got them here in the earth, Uh, their fight for life, uh, how they were kept from the womb to being delivered. And each of them is very unique and and very different. They, I mean, they all have a personality, uh, but... For Mike and I, they were always special to us. They were especially created. Uh, They are a great balance of our personalities. Um, They are very uh, grounded. They can be, uh, as as the Bible talks about being like Paul, he says, I can be both a base and a bound. They can be hood when they need to be hood. They can be uh, 
sophisticated when they needed to be sophisticated. Uh, and that was the thing that Mike and I wanted for them in terms of ministry was that they would have a balance in life that they would know how to reach the least of these and at the same time be a, a warrior or a champion for people and conduct themselves that way. So motherhood for me has been one of the greatest gifts. Uh, I also have a backstory where when I was about three years old, I was my mother was told that I was not going to be able to have children. Uh, because I had one ovary, I had an ovary removed because I had a, uh, a cyst on one of my ovaries and they removed them. And so she was actually given a dire uh, report that I would probably not conceive children, would not have children, would not be able to carry children. Wow. So that adds to the gifting uh, for, for them in terms of being a gift to Mike and I. And then, of course, he was an only child, so his desire was to always want children. Yeah. So having children was a was a... That's why I know it was a gift, and we actually poured our life uh, into making sure they had good stars, that we supported them in all they do. Uh, we had occasions where we'd be, one person would be one end of the cat town dropping somebody off, and, nobody, somebody, and the other parent was on the other end of town. Uh, I, we have funny stories about my husband. He used to, he knew their type of hair for their, their braids. I mean, he could tell you one B and, and yakky and... <laughs> I mean, he was doing all of that. He was in the nail he shop. He would have us in the hood he hair store. Because, <laughs> you know, one thing I always admire about my mom, she worked. She worked a lot. Like, she mm -hmm. was, like, nine to five. And my dad would be the one, you know, if he wasn't picking us up from school, he'd be there when we got home mm -hmm. off the bus. And, you know, he would be, you know, who we'd be home with most of the time. And mom would get home and she'd take a nap. We knew when mom came through that door, leave her alone. She'd go put that go. purse in that chair <laughs> and go in that room and take a nap. And she won't reemerge till law and order came up. Or, like, you know, one thing I always admired as well, she would, you know, when she reemerged, she would cook dinner. Yeah. Like, I know when I started my internship, that's when I really started to appreciate my mom. Because, like, I would be so beat. Mm -hmm. Not even that. I would be so oh, tired right. from, the like, working Work, a nine yeah, to five. Yeah, nah. Getting home, I'd be like, I'm not cooking knocked anything. out. Yeah, I'm man. like, mom would actually come home and be a mom. Yeah. And, like, raise <laughs> us, beat us, whatever we needed to do. Go check homework. report cards. Home. <laughs> no, no, for them, homework, special projects. That was big in my house. Oh, so mom love projects. But we would leave the house at 7 and 8 o'clock at night, run all around and pick all these things up because Melanie would never have her information about when the project was I would was tell due. my parents to the day before ah, oh and have God. the whole house into it. Like everybody, everybody working on a float for <laughs> a diorama. No, like, no oh. literally, I, all night we would be working on Melanie's project. There's so many stories of me being trash and not. They would give you handouts and I forget. Uh, yeah, that's... Oh, that's by the way, never make it home. favorite story, mom was so mad at me. I was seven years old, and I was in dance class. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. <laughs> they gave us a handout. Oh, it was two recitals. It was like one and two and one and five. It was a handout, and never gave it to my mom. She was like, When's, what time is your recital mail? She'd been paying all this money, is, all this time for me to, to recite. Right. <laughs> I was like, five? I think it's a five. Mind you, I'm seven. Why are you taking my word for it? Why? I'm seven. Why? We pull up. It's seven o'clock. Melanie, where have you been? Your show is at two. Blah, blah, blah. Like, I missed my whole recital. I came fully dressed, like, ready. I got my hair done in the donut bun. And my show is at two. <laughs> and everybody was like, Melanie, how did you come to the wrong show? I was like, I, I thought it was it. No, but that wasn't the half of it. So my mom my comes. My mom, with, my sisters, oh, everybody, whole, everybody was there. The entire family is there. Melly like do her ballet. We, she would, every Saturday, like every Saturday, we would go take me to practice oh, to ballet practice. Monique would have piano. Mm -hmm. Then I would leave practice. We would go. We would drive all the way to Miramar because that's when KJ was a little baby. Mm -hmm. We go visit KJ. We get some Estes. Like that was every we Saturday, two thousand two. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> when it comes to the recital. So my mom comes, she raises hell. She's like, I pay all this money. When, but mom, no, okay, mom's more of a Claire Huxley with her. She's not a Rochelle. <laughs> or a I paid you all this money. My daughter has been, you know, blah, blah, blah. My daughter's going to be on that stage. So they had to, <laughs> they had to adjust. <laughs> Mind you, I'm seven. I'm not a big seven-year-old, but I'm still seven. seven. She's tall. She's a tall seven. So, like a stream. Well, yeah, I was like, like skinny, skinny, but I, you could tell like, I, was, yeah. I wasn't. They made me go, just so I could perform oh, and do something. Right. I had to go change to another thing. I had to perform to three-year-olds. <laughs> just big, just <laughs> looking now, like Will Smith. That's how I looked. Literally, that's how I looked. And it was just like, okay, now, plie. Okay, now. <laughs> I don't blame Put your mama. You would have been performing well. in the living room. We don't pay all this money. I'm shamed. Like, I was small enough to get into the leotard that they had, but I'm up there like, <laughs> that was my punishment. <laughs> but the entire family was there to support me and ladder We are on the wrong time. We're not, this ain't me her freezing. Drove all, to, all the way to Kendall <laughs> to be. <laughs> Did you continue with the ballet company? After that was this? that was no. Oh, that's what it was. Remember, because mm-hmm. it's part of your complaint. They gave you like a week free of summer, summer camp. Right. Okay. So I got a week of summer camp mm-hmm. during the summer. And I remember we went and saw Spy Kids, and that was our field trip for the summer camp, the dance camp. Because I was learning tap and stuff. But that's what they gave her free because mm-hmm. they messed up the time. <laughs> but really, why would you trust a seven year old? I'm seven. <laughs> so, seven was different back in her day. Yeah, you will yeah, remember your recital seven, time right. then. Mm-hmm. I'm the new seven. Right. And I forgot. This privilege seven that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another funny story. Oh, God. So we had an assignment. <laughs> One project. Projects were big in our household. Yeah. Oh, no. no. Middle we, school. We live for projects. We still live for projects. <laughs> yeah. yeah something to right. do. Oh, we are doing campaign? it. We you got a campaign? Oh, we're going to work on your campaign. Yeah. <laughs> That's no, the like whole house. So. High school, like the whole house was like a big a campaign house. factory. <laughs> So, okay, so sixth grade, we had... Just the Kennedys over here. Oh, oh, yeah. Basically. So sixth grade, we had, like, you know, you always see it on TV. People got to take care of an egg or a flower baby. So I had home ec. So we had to do a flower baby, a five-pound thing of flour. I couldn't just get a five-pound bag of flour and put a smiley face on it and call it a day. No. I'm a Mitchell. We do this. Me, Mike, and Sharon went to Publix, picked it out. Mm -hmm. Mike took one of my baby dolls, cut the head off and the arms. They... we. Emptied out the flower bag, cut out holes, and attached. We had like a, it was like a, it was a Jimmy rig. Like we had the arms moved and everything. So we basically replaced the torso of the baby dog with, with the, the flower bag. Right. It was legit. I got clothes for it. And then, of course, oh, yeah, me being spoiled, I had all types of baby doll stuff. I didn't play with baby dolls no more. I was like on brats. I had a full gray coat stroller set with a car seat. <laughs> Baby bag, food, formula. I was walking through the halls oh, with a full stroller for my diaper, for my flower baby. Everybody was like, are you kidding me? Is that your baby? <laughs> Her name was mine. I was really walking around like in the car seat in class. Everybody was like, are you kidding me? Let me see the baby. It was big. Like, I was literally walking through class. Like, I remember like... <laughs> walking to six period i was late so i was every class because i had a whole stroller <laughs> my stroller get out of here i'm going up the steps with the stroller like some seven grade. like you need help i got it i'm, I'm a fine. strong single mother i was not a single mother omari i was my baby father but he was on tour so he oh, wasn't yeah, she able had, she had to write a story about the baby i had a whole scrapbook oh, okay. and told the love story of how me and omari i met her name was right. maya what was her middle name it was maya grandberry like some fan fiction you had already written that wasn't on fan fiction yet okay i was i was 10. Yeah, she, I mean, this has been Melanie's This is 6th grade. I didn't get the fan fiction in ninth right. grade. Okay. Oh, <laughs> but it was, like, legit. But, like, me and my parents in there working on it. <laughs> 
Since Dre was a big year. But that was also the same semester I got straight. No, I got a D. I got a D. What was that? In, in social studies. Remember? Mm-hmm. And you came and you, and you came oh, and, and raised professional <laughs> hell again. <laughs> but then you found out I was doing my work and was acting the fool and I was in this meeting like <laughs> Well Melanie didn't turn in her social studies project. I'm like well, we got to change, though. No, it never changed. No, I but I was, I, I turned. I, that's a technicality. They did not advise me that you were. I turned it in. I think, yeah, I think the problem was they didn't let you know they I was failing. Know that she oh, was okay. failing, right? Yeah. So we had a technicality. Oh, that was bad. You uh, took everything. Like, my Game Boys, my DS. I had like, the little mannequin heads because I wanted to do hair. She took that. She took, I think I talked about this punishment a yeah. couple shows ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She took she took my dolls. She mm-hmm. she uninstalled Sims again. Yeah, like know, it's always uninstalled Sims, right? Everything yeah. everything was gone. Um, did I talk about when I made the gay family on Sims? Who was I talking about that too? Remember when we, I did we that? We talked about that recent. I yes. was talking to you. Yes, that was another. I made a gay family on the Sims, and I could talk about me my punishments all day. I can get my mother's perspective since she's here. I had, <laughs> this was before I had my own computer, so I would use my mom's computer to play Sims, and I'd be in her room, but she wasn't in there. Mm-hmm. And I always knew you could make a gay family, but I never did it, because I'm like, wow, I don't care. I'm making straight family. I'm like, you know what? Today's the day. I'm going to try. I'm going to see what happens. And, like, the loading screen would be the family, uh, like a family portrait, mm-hmm. and they would, like, kiss him. Mm-hmm. But it would take so long to load, load so I'd be mm-hmm. there for about 10 minutes waiting. Mm-hmm. Melissa happened to be getting out of the shower to come check on me. Hey, what you in here doing? I was just like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. What, what you doing? Mm-hmm. And she zoomed in. Are those two men? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. It was like a scene out of a movie. Please, no, please. <laughs> Don't say that to please God. No, please. Don't tell mom. Please. I beg you, please. I'm 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 of course she told mom. Oh, God. And she understood right, it. It was literally like, please, God. <laughs> please. Please don't take it. My diary entries were so full of, I hate mom, right. and I hate Melissa, Ooh. I hate Monique, right. I hate everybody. Can't wait till I leave, I ain't right. never right. coming back. Right. My dad was the most neutral person in the house. Right. Like, the he hate so would be chill. towards the sisters and mom, but like, right. it's like, dad's cool though. He cool. Yeah. I ain't mad at him. Yeah. You know, but she everybody was the youngest, else? so she could, she could just look at him and bat her eyes, and it was like, I could really have whatever I want. You don't have to be that hard on her. <laughs> I'm like, no, you just don't get it. Melanie I can't remember not one beating I ever got. And Melanie always thought she was smarter than everybody in the house, including me. Still. So that was a problem in itself. Right. And that's what, yeah, that's why her, her punishments always had to be beyond just. I'm going to A whooping wasn't whoop. enough because I get whoopings to go back in it. my room. <laughs> Turn on TV, like, what's up? What's going on today? Oh, Dex's lab, boom. Like, a, a whooping wasn't enough for me. You couldn't stop a monster like me with a whooping. Oh, yeah. We had to. You had to, to, I had to shut her down. You had to break me. <laughs> oh, good time. It's a solitary confinement. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's get back on schedule. Yeah. We can talk about my punishments all day. So, what I wanted to ask, mm-hmm. you know, with your first child being un. Uh, you know, unplanned. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Like, what was the, what, you know, what was the fear? What was the, the mm-hmm. anxiousness? You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure you and, and your husband had talked about, you know, mm-hmm. what you all wanted for your children or, mm-hmm. or how you all would go about raising them. But, you know, when you see that positive oh, yeah. pregnancy test and, and now yeah. things are becoming a reality, what is that like? I think for us, particularly as a, a new couple, uh, it became the way that we built our faith. Okay. Uh, because, you know, we always heard God always provides for babies. You know, you hear the story of fa- babies and fools. Uh, <laughs> but in our case, we actually saw God perform miracles for us for our baby. Uh, from the time we were pregnant, uh, we were going, We uh, I was going to a doctor's area in the most expensive part of town. 
with no insurance. Oh Lord. At the time. <laughs> and one day and then I went Finesse. to I went to the hospital for one of the tests. I'm doing all this, giving them just a little bit of here and there in terms of the doctor's payment. And they called in and said, Well, you know what? You have uh your husband's a, a agent at the time. My husband was working for an insurance agent agency. And they say, and because he's an agent, there's a clause that says, although you were pregnant before he got hired, they automatically cover yeah. everything that you you have for the pregnancy. Wow, yeah. So that was that was one of the examples of how God just, God provided. just provided. Mm-hmm. Uh, when my daughter was born, the first year of Mel- Monique, I mean Melissa was born. <laughs> she does it up. Yeah, no, no, it, I call yeah. them all one name. Because y'all names all like, start with M. Right. My brother, we're Rodney and Randy. You're Rodney so and Randy? It, okay, it's, same thing. Yeah, so it's Rodney, Randy. Right. One of y'all, come in. Y'all, y'all we we always do whoever was last. <laughs> Randy, oh, that's you. <laughs> Not it. So we went from the first year of her life, I didn't even have to purchase clothes for her. Between my mother-in-law, oh, yeah. people from work, people from my husband's job, and then we had the church community. Uh, so we saw God perform miracles for us for uh, uh, Melissa. And Melissa's name means as sweet as a honeybee, but her middle name is Aisha, which means she who was prosperous. And so we saw from the time that she was born that God just prospered her. Uh, So it became the way that we became connected as a couple because one of the things that you find as a couple or in any relational uh, situation, that's what you see with fraternities and sororities. If you struggle together, your bond becomes deeper and and more connected. Uh, when you've gone through something with somebody and you've had to struggle and then you become overcomers together, mm. it connects you heart to heart. And so that became some of the foundational uh, pieces for us in terms of relationship because we saw God because it was like we never planned to have a child the first year of marriage. I was working on my master's degree, so I had to delay that a little bit uh, because I was going. Uh, I actually had a very sickly pregnancy in terms of uh trying to keep food down and morning sickness and all that. So I had to take out a semester. Uh, But it just built us in terms of our our relationship and just understanding that if God is in it, he'll he'll provide for it. And so that's what we saw with with Melissa. And, of course, it also taught us in terms of we're not going to be calling this situation next time. So we're going to plan now. So the next one is going to be five years before we do this again. So that's kind of how we, we, we made it through the first year with Melissa, being married in the first year and being pregnant the first year. What, um, what for you as a mother differed between that first child and mm-hmm. then that second child? You know, I, there's a Pampers commercial that shows, you know, like I, this yes, over. Right. <laughs> yeah, I love that commercial. Right. You know, this mother, she's got all this gear, and then the second mm-hmm. child, she's like, you ready? Yeah, right. <laughs> and felt, in fact, uh, Monique often says that because she's the middle child, so she also, often talks about, I don't have as many pictures as the first one. I mean, your first child is like, shh, we yeah. taking pictures of everything. Million. The middle child didn't get as many pictures. Uh, and then, of course, when Melanie came around, the other two helped to, to take, take pictures for yeah. her. Mm-hmm. So they it had seems two like, more right, photographers. So now you got two more photographers, right. So the middle child for us, uh, Monique for us, because she was planned, uh, was more, uh, we were more prepared for her in terms of the things that we needed for her. But I've always been a planner. So she got a lot of the same stuff that Monique, that Melissa had. Uh, and then, of <laughs> It's course, funny, right? No, I... The names was just... Well, no, it's so practical that, you know, it's like, okay, you know, we just go, well, just another girl. We just going to save this. But as the middle child, you're like, all right. No, we didn't. We didn't. You know what? I gave all of Melissa's things away. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, five yeah, years. After, yeah, they're five years. So all of her things, by the time Monique came along, I had given all that away. So she had her own... Okay. Uh, now, the difference is the first one I had a baby shower. Monique, I had one baby shower. 
Melanie, I had two babies. Actually, I had three baby showers for Melanie. Because by the time Melanie came around, you know, we were a little more settled, a more a little more uh, organized. We we had so many circles, and we had the different circles of people who saying, "Well, we want to give you a shower." We're like, "No, I'm already having one." Well, we want to give you one anyway. Mm. And so we saw the different in terms of just prosperity, in terms of the our circles were different in terms of people who had resources that could bless us in that mm-hmm. sense. Uh, but I think in terms of I laugh at that commercial. Also, there's one uh, that where it has a baby. The first one, there, she's doting, and the next one, it's almost like she forgets the child is leaving. There, she got to go back and get it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we probably probably had a little bit of that with Monique, but Monique was such a different child from Melissa. Melissa was very uh, studious, uh, very independent. Okay, you could sit her down. Monique was almost like a Bam Bam from <laughs> Song. She was just knocking stuff down. <laughs> Uh, I can we remember. I remember uh, a, a scene at church. Monique had to be like two. Monique was playing a solitaire with uh, playing cards from at church. At church. <laughs> <laughs> so she was such a personality, and she was so happy-go-lucky. Uh, but she was so different. They were in terms of how they their personalities were. They were so different. So. Yeah. I can use the same kinds of approaches with Monique that I could with Melissa. Wow. What about me? As don't care about you. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> don't do that. But how you differ. Melanie was different because Melanie was, um, because she had the older siblings, Melanie never believed she was the age that she was. Okay. So she That's always sad. thought she was their peer. And so, and, I, and I'm sure that you've learned so far, have, having known her for a while, her sarcasm, yeah. her wit. Uh, that was all from a little girl. I remember Melanie had to be maybe two, and she asked my mother, could she read? Because she was going to read to her. She was like, Nana, can you read? Like, I don't think you can read. Let me go. trying, Nana. I remember that, too. So Melanie was, was, was like that. I used to want to read so bad. Yeah, so, so she would be reading, like, and she probably started reading about was four, about okay. four. Once I got in school. Um, Melanie's first uh, experience uh, in kindergarten was it kindergarten or first grade. When the teacher said, I want everybody to raise their hand and tell me if they've got a question. Melanie raised her hand because she's always got to challenge the authority that's in the room. She raised her hand. She said, well, what about the kids that are deaf? Were there any deaf kids? No, there were no deaf kids. But but this was Melanie. Just being smart. smart. I still remember my red card. You were changing your card when I did a red. I never changed. (laughs) I never changed. Thug life over here. I had two red cards, and I remember why I got them. Wait, okay, I remember one. I forgot the second one, but like your parent would have to sign since you're not familiar with red cards. Yeah, please, I'm please no stranger explain. to I, no stranger green. to struggle. Like just, your just green every day because the, the typical. So it was my was mouth for three, was yeah. green, right? Yes. I mean, I would, <laughs> I would daily, I'm glad to you know, see you cared about the deaf kids that weren't there. <laughs> I would hope for green cards, but you know, things would happen. I remember. Um, Oh, I do remember why I got my red, second red card. Mm-hmm. The first time we were lining up, and this boy had his arms. I mean, his hands over his ears. His name was Jeffrey. I remember he had braids. I vividly remember. His name was Jeffrey. I remember his last name, too, but I want to be weird. Um, had his hands over his ears. We were lining up for lunch. And she was like, Jeffrey, why do you have your hands on your ears? I was like, shot in the dark here. Maybe because you were talking too loud. Oh, damn. No, he changed his heart. But the, the bad part is I had to have already been on yellow. I don't know if they went straight. Because you don't go, jump from green to red for that. They was- Unless you were just that mad. <laughs> And then, okay, my teacher, Miss Dixon, I can't find her on Facebook, but she was a black lady. lady. Real pretty, mm-hmm. but big old boots, boot, like right. huge. She was, she was. It was like very large. Erasing the board. It was like, you remember, yeah. did you see the movie Robots? 
the cartoon was a cartoon movie named Robots. He had an aunt named Fanny. Her butt was like really, really big. <laughs> no, that was her. it. Came out like oh three, oh five ish. Anyway, booty was big, and somebody did something. I was like, all right, Miss Dixon gonna sit on you. <laughs> Red card had to get a sign. And my dad, of course, because he was home during the week working on, like, music, whatever. He had always had to type of hustle. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and, he preached he on Sunday. And then he was a pastor. So, he had so he'd be hours. home, you know, during the, during the day. Mm-hmm. Could pick us up and be there at home. And he would always be the one to respond to my teacher's calls. Oh, like, wow. that was always. <laughs> he would be my go-to. Even if my mm-hmm. mom didn't work all day, he I would did. still be. Call my dad, please, because call my mom. My dad's you number. Don't want, you don't want Claire coming out here. Uh-uh. She can't come out here. No, right. seriously. So I'm like, just call my dad's cool. Mm-hmm. So he would be the one interacting with my teacher. Okay, mm-hmm. what did Melanie do? Okay. Like, even when I get in trouble, eighth grade. And then even up to 11th grade, right before you passed, I got in trouble. I got kicked out of class. Mm-hmm. We would always act up in our AP U.S. history class. Like, Mr. Sherman, he was just an easy target. It was just fun to act up in his class. Meanwhile, if we had any sense, we would act right so we could pass the test and not have to pay for the class in college. Anyway. Only passed one of the mm-hmm. tests from one of any of my AP classes. Oh, yeah, yeah. But that was just like our school probably should have got some better stuff <laughs> to make us fully prepared. But, yeah, it got to the point. He was talking on the phone. Mr. Sherman had called my dad. Mm-hmm. But they on the phone chopping it up mm-hmm. at this point. Like, he on the phone like, he's on like, yeah, your dad's cool. I'm like, <laughs> my yeah. God. like, y'all not friends. Like, give me, give me my phone back, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was my go-to. That was definitely my go-to. I don't think they, like, my mom will only be there only time she was allowed to interact with my teacher without me getting in trouble was open house on the first day of school. Mm-hmm. Until sixth grade, I was like, okay, mom, we can go now. You don't need to come to open house. Oh, no, like the first day of school, my mom would be there until about, you know, parents would come in yeah. and sit with the teacher the first yeah. day of school. Yeah. Sixth grade, I was like, mom, when are you leaving? Yeah. I'm in middle school now. But, um, so, yeah, what? back to the topic at hand because we mm-hmm. can sit and talk about funny stories. Um, so how, you know, how did it feel balancing being a, like, a real-life working mom, like, mm-hmm. and coming up what? No, just, like, real life, life like, life. she was playing, like, <laughs> right. like, you know, like. I mean, some people be like, they work, but they, like, my mom will be at work, like, right. seriously at work. And, like, she had a really serious job, especially mm-hmm. when it came to, like, hurricane time. She worked in water and sewer. So, like, when it came for hurricane, she would be on call. Like, right. we'd be sitting mm-hmm. with no lights on, but she's like, okay, I gotta, gotta go to work. Yeah. So mm-hmm. how did you balance well, I think for in me, church? Because for uh, what Melanie is describing is I actually was in, in a management position. And so in a management position, I had areas of responsibility and then I had people that reported to me. Mm-hmm. And because of the nature of the job, we were we provided a vital service. So when something happened, if it was a, a flood, like how we got weather systems going on now, we would be on call because we had to ensure the safety of people's potable water. And so... I would be at work oftentimes um, 10, 12 hours a day. Wow. And in days where I was not there all day, I would literally, I had shoes in my car. I wear suits to work. And then I would come and roll in the front of the house and say, hey, y'all, I'm on my way home. Y'all get in the car. And I would actually transform from having on a business suit to up to looking like somebody cares. Like they have the commercial saying, you have your work to evening wear. Yeah. I was at mom. Uh, but for me, the balance was being organized mm-hmm. uh, and then having a partner with my husband. The fact that he was a, a pastor, he had a little more flexible hours. Uh, it required us to coordinate a lot of what we did in terms of having children. We also had, for me being a professional as a manager, uh, I was sharing this with somebody recent. We had the ability to pay for some services that some people don't have the opportunity to do. Like I had someone that helped me 
uh, for example, Melanie and Monique at one time had a van service that picked them up in the front door of the school. Oh, wow. They picked them up and it dropped, and the van service dropped them off. I mean, door to door. We had, at one time, I had someone that was uh, living when Monique was younger, when I was, particularly when my husband was in school and then I was working the long hours. We actually had someone that lived with us uh, from Monday through Friday and was there to care for her uh, in terms of because she was a toddler at the time. Then as uh, the girls got older, I had someone to come into the house because I was always working yeah. during the week that came <coughs> and actually cleaned our house, that maintained the cleanliness of ours, washing the clothes, making sure the Cooking. basic areas of the house were clean. Uh, we paid for lawn service. We paid, So we were able to buy pay for a number of services that helped Money. me manage the household <laughs> so that come Saturday, you can spend time here. We were always out shopping or <laughs> picking up my mom and my sisters. Yeah. Uh, it became a, a way of having fellowship where we'd be out, we shop together, eat together, grocery shop. And it was not always out just buying stuff. Yeah. Uh, we were very driven in terms of, for me, it was family was the most important part of me. And family for me was not just my immediate family, but I wanted my children to have a part of the extended family. So there would be occasions we had my mother, my, my mother and my mother-in-law. Uh, and so it became a matter of trying to balance both my children seeing me as a career person, as a mom that still fulfilled the role of a mom, and then I had the role at the church. I became the executive pastor for my husband at his church. Uh, he was a pastor, I was an executive pastor, so I maintained all of the business aspects of the church, right. uh, oversaw a lot of the activities, and so that became another component of being a career-type person, contributing in terms of what I felt were the gift of administration. I believe that that's the gift that God has given me. And I was able to use those giftings to manage both my household, what I did professionally, and then what I did for the body of Christ. And so the girls got to see me operate mm -hmm. in all of those. And all of our aspects of our life were managed. I mean, from who's picking up who to... Do we have another resource? Uh, for example, Melanie was part of a competition cheerleading group. Yeah, I was going to talk about that. Mm -hmm. And as part of the competition cheerleading group, my younger sister, who's 11 years younger than me, was a high school cheerleader and did competition cheerleading in high school. And, and um, so we wanted to put all the girls had different interests. And so after this ballet and all of this dance didn't work out quite as well for Melanie. <laughs> we decided, okay, Melanie's going to be a chili. It helped because I could dance. <laughs> I have rhythm. She'd be strolling. So, yeah, so, <laughs> hey, so, so that it was help going to be. And so part of the competition cheerleading requires uh, parental involvement. It requires uh, chaperones for trips. Of course, with us, we were going to have, because there were only like three or four black kids in the whole program. This was really. Yeah, all elitist. the teams. All the teams were elitist white girls for the most Spanish part. Spanish girls. Spanish girls. Rich like Cuban. You could, you could almost count the, the African-American girls on the We team. have a picture of all of us in one yeah. picture <laughs> in my room. So, so my younger sister said, okay, if you get in the competition cheerleader, I'm going to be her cheer mom. So all of Melanie's practice, and my sister lived about 30 to 45 minutes away. Yeah, she from lived in North Miami. She would come from mm -hmm. Little Havana, come pick me up, mm -hmm. take me to practice every day. Every, not every day, every and week. We Two, it it's Mondays and Wednesdays. Monday and Wednesdays. But she would be on my trips, in the hotel room, mm -hmm. all of this. 
to the point people thought I was my mom. They're like, oh, your mom. No, that's, mm-hmm. that's my auntie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To the people, you know, I'm black, so they didn't think I had no daddy or nothing. But it's like, oh, that's your dad? You have a dad? <laughs> yes, he's my dad. He's on the computer. He's a little checked out. He's not really here, but he's here. So we would go to the competitions. <laughs> like, and people would be like, like, who are these people? Like, like, these are my parents, actually. That's just my aunt. But, so. but they, would know, they would recognize us when we came into the competition. Because one of the things about cheer, uh, the whole cheer community Everybody is supporting their team. We would be dressed alike. We would have they wouldn't got shirts, shirts made. We shirts made. We would have like pants with monograms <laughs> on them, and we had stuff that said Melanie's mom. <laughs> it was Melanie's dad. Yeah, <laughs> and I sh- was got shirts. Like, oh my god, it was lit though. <laughs> it was lit. One time, me and my dad fell out because <laughs> dads are just mean. Just dad, because they're men. Mm-hmm. But um, we were in Jacksonville. It was like, my first season, we won, like, everything but the main one at the end. Like, mm-hmm. it was like, all right. We lost COA. That was, like, the really big was at Gaylord. Mm-hmm. Um, you ever heard of a Gaylord Hotel? It's big. In Orlando. Mm-hmm. But they have them all over the country. But that was, like, the biggest competition of the year. So we lost that one. Okay, cool. Next next season, we got second place in every competition. Mm-hmm. It was like, okay. Bet. Mm-hmm. So we went to Jacksonville. Mind you, that was, like, six hours away. We traveled, whatever. And my dad came to that one, and oh, he traveled to that one. He came, he came to Orlando one all the time, but he specifically came. Oh, Jesus, specifically came, came to, to this one. And Monique came down from Tallahassee. Like everybody was there. It's like everybody's got to. And I feel like we there. got third place out of three. So we leaving. <laughs> so um, that was a bet. Yes, last. Third place out of three. <laughs> last. But they were three, the like, other team. Really. Either it was like third out of three. Mm-hmm. I think it was because the other one was second. Out of, that's when I didn't talk to Auntie the whole ride home, and she was mad at me. So this time, I'm like, I'm tired of losing. It's been a bad season for us. I'm mm-hmm. pissed. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, it's a long ride home. So I'm in the car just. He's like, so Melanie. I was like, don't, don't you start, Mike. Don't you start. <laughs> so we drove all the way here for you to lose. <laughs> I, I was so oh, mad man. at him. I was so mad. <laughs> <laughs> but we was there. The last competition. It was really like a Disney movie. Like, we yeah, won COA. Like, I'm a jacket. <laughs> The biggest thing about winning the competition, it wasn't the trophy, it was the jacket. You get, right. you get a national champion jacket when you win the competition. Yeah. And it was leather, it was a coveted jacket. And then I messed it up in the washing machine later that year. It's still in my closet. I, I was going to say, it. like, do you still, like, Oh, yeah, she still has. She has the jacket, the bag. I still have all my stuff. The towel. Yeah. I mean, it's Yeah, it's, we got, it's we did. Like, we got, still got the monogram. Like yeah, I mean, we got like, beach yeah, we towels. We had, all, like, you paid here. enough for all this yeah, stuff nah, to get what it. you wanted. <laughs> I got the trophy in my room, actually. I used it as a weapon. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought if a burglar ever came in the house, I would use my COA trophy. That's the plan. Oh, my God, you're really good at you. So, okay, we can, we're going to talk for a long time. So let's try to start wrapping it up. Um so, I'm going to talk about, well, my last question, for me at least, is, mm-hmm. so can you talk about one of your highest, I don't know, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm going to ask your lowest moment, because it's probably going to be like, when you know, Melanie got a D, it was the lowest moment of my motherhood experience. Oh, but yeah, what was one of your, like, most, your highest moments mm-hmm. of motherhood, I guess? Well, it would be the, certainly it would be the birth of each child, and first seeing your child be mm-hmm. birthed, and mm-hmm. Actually getting to say, oh, my God, I've carried this child for nine months. Who do they look like? How do they look? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first glimpse of your child being born, I think, is the highest moment for any parent. Uh, and then certainly as a mother, because you carry a baby and you got all those feelings and movements and you see all these months, you know, you see your sonogram and all of that. And then you finally say, wow, here's a person who's got my nose, he's got her eye, his eyes or so the first glimpse of your child, I think, is the high for me as a mother. 
The low for me, I think, is with each of the children. Uh, something they've done is like, oh, I'm just so disappointed in you. I think about that the time with Melissa when they went to the restaurant and didn't pay for the uh, tip, didn't pay for oh, the high school mm-hmm. in high school, and they were like, oh, we're going to put you in detention uh, because my children didn't, were like They didn't let her run for homecoming queen or something like that? Huh? When they didn't let her. Yeah, they didn't let her run for homecoming queen. So it's like, oh, my God, because our children were always high achievers. And it's like, oh, my God, you're in detention? Oh, my God, you're in detention? I mean, Me and Mike had so many detention agreements that he didn't tell her about. I was like, all right, say I'm in. Okay, look, we here. Tell mom he had to pick me before because I had practice for the black history complaint. And Melanie was always doing something. <laughs> I was so I mean, bad. It was always something with Melanie. Grades was bad, uh, grades, giving my teachers all types uh, of hell. Talking back to the teachers, uh, just always something with her. So I always had it with her. Now, Monique, Monique mostly was, I hate you, Sharon. I can't stand you, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, dramatic, dramatic teenager. Teenager, yeah. uh, writing her diary. I hate the whole family. And then the teacher read. <laughs> no, she had a story she had to write at school or something. And, and the teacher's like, listen, I need to meet with you and your husband. Because I think Monique, I've got some concerns with Monique and what's going on in the house. So I'm like, what? You got these people. You got these people, people, yeah, people nigga. I'm beating you. Just, just treating you wrong because you grounded. Because you, because you, because we control what you doing. What? So listen, so it's we, hard, man. Growing up in Mitchell House. Yeah. So we had, you know, it was because because excellence for us was like what we strive for and. But them always, always tried to direct them in what I thought their strengths were or what they were interested in. I mean, Mike and I were from ballet to Melissa used to be in a girl choral society where she was seen with white girls all over town. Ooh. Yeah, right. <laughs> and she's like, I don't want to do this no more. Yeah. We're like, what? We don't pay all this money for these people. You got us all over town. So it was always that with them. Like with Melanie with ballet, one minute she want to be in ballet, the next hip-hop. minute she want to be in hip hop. I mean, it was like, we were going from one thing to another with them. Um, so those were the highs for us. And like, like Melanie says, we lived for projects. Uh, we were a team. One thing with our house was everybody was in. We were all in. Yeah. And that's the thing that we, uh, my husband and I tried to instill in them. If you don't have nobody with you, the family got to be with you. Yeah. Uh, and whatever skills you got, now you might, like I don't cut real good. I don't cut straight. But, <laughs> but I can write something for you now. Uh, my youngest up. sister was a uh, sing, dance, very creative. We call her Monk because she's real meticulous and neurotic about certain things. OCD. So we'd be mm-hmm. like, listen, we got a project. You got to come to the house. And we she'd be in too. So yes. with them, the whole family would be in. Yeah. And we still live by that same mantra where, like when Melanie was campaigning, high school campaign, when I tell you we were all over the town trying to get stuff for her campaign. Stuff Columbia had never seen before. I really changed yeah. the game. Not even trying to be funny, but like, mm-hmm. I knew I was going to run for something in college. So I was like, I need to go all in so I can practice. Yeah. I had brownies. I had t-shirts. They ain't seen t-shirts before. They was like, <laughs> I had like a, people would just mm-hmm. vote for me, word art, right. or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Vote for Mel. Melanie no, had I had a graphic like designer. Mel had club fires for her. Like legit. Had it, like, <laughs> Melissa right. talked to a graphic designer at the time, whatever. He made a, it actually, it's probably still in the refrigerator. Right I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> we had magnets. I won that one, oh. though. <laughs> it was legit. People had my stuff on a locker. I had a video I made. Oh, using wow. my tangibles, like, vote mm-hmm. for Melanie, vote for Melanie. Yeah. It was real. So they so they learn that. So that's the high for me is to see them um, use their gifts and talents. Um, even with Mel with the podcast, uh, 
looking at her doing web design. Melanie's been on a computer from a little girl, most of which was inappropriate, but skill sets gained from it. Uh, <laughs> Internet talking to strangers. <laughs> <laughs> now she can relate with all strangers. <laughs> I've, I've been talking to strangers for a while. Remember, okay, last story. Remember the time you, you got my computer, Mom? We were talking about this recently uh, on the podcast. Mm-hmm. You got my computer. I think we're going to talk about it next week on yeah, the next episode. Yeah, Whatever. Next mm-hmm. But, and I had my aim up, my instant messenger, and you found mm-hmm. out I was talking to people from California. California, yes. <laughs> I was like, do you know that they're taking kids? And, and, uh, and, and, and fun. you don't even know these people. There's some pedophile that, I mean. Yeah. But like, it's not that bad. Like, I'm still t- in contact with people who I used to talk to in like 2009 wow. on the internet. And like, no one's the old guy. Like, we're all real people. All it's fun. Yeah, actually, um, who you claim to be. You have a question, Rodney? Uh, man, I actually have a couple. Um, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, it, I mean, you know, I, so in my house, it was just mm-hmm. me and my younger brother. So it was oh, two guys, okay. so like mm-hmm. very different. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just, you know, I want, if you, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add to managing the different mm-hmm. personalities. That's n- never something I thought about as mm-hmm. a parent. Like, yeah, you have kids and you mm-hmm. want to raise them the same, mm-hmm. but at the same time, they respond differently. They do. So, like, how do you as mm-hmm. a parent, you know, like, well, you you know, with, with parenting, of course, you know, they don't give you a handbook. You kind of learning as you go. Yeah. Uh, but you get to know what one child responds to versus another. Uh, like with Melanie, if you took all of her devices, it, it was like it crushed her spirit. <laughs> Melissa was one of these. I remember one of the times my husband with Melissa, she had done something, and he took all of her jewelry. Melissa used to wear bangles all the way up her arm. <laughs> Is she, it was the little rubber ones? No, the real oh, gold oh, bangles. Yeah, okay. gold and, and this is the 90s now. Oh, so true. Had, my fault. I'm, yeah. So each of the bangles represented something, and it was like, oh, this is my treasure. And she had done something. He says, give me all your all your jewelry. And she was like, oh, my God. I'm <laughs> Please. I made me naked before the world because you take you taking my bangles from me. Monique, on the other hand, I had to – Monique was the child that I would have to actually – start out actually have to beat her <laughs> i remember one time i have one story about monique that's hilarious monique was how old was monique I, this is the dancing one this is the dancing this one. is my favorite my favorite punishment <laughs> so, in so, the history of punishments ever so the punishment for monique was she was monique. okay she was caught dancing nasty, nasty to some right. song in the living room right i don't know in what it was but it was like the 90s probably something with trick daddy or trick daddy like right. uncle luke something like, yeah. something, like, something that wasn't appropriate yeah. right why was she was in like, the living room just like it was a common area i know we were we were around it wasn't like no private nasty dancing i don't know if it was like a music video on tv i just remember her being near the entertainment center dancing nasty and i was like it's going down she's in trouble okay well the punch so i came to her, i was like i know she is not dancing like this in the middle so i said so since you like dancing nasty guess what I want you to drop it like it's hot for a whole 30, was a whole hour? 30 minutes. 30 minutes. She had to dance she nasty. She had to dance nasty for a full 30, 30, minutes. 30 minutes straight. <laughs> As we just sat and watched. And then she starts like, no, do it with your tongue out like he was doing. No, how, gyrate. I will never forget that. And it was just so funny. Oh, oh God. God. And I was like, no, I want your tongue out. I want it as nasty as it was a minute ago. Uh-uh. Lick it out. I want you to go all the way down. <laughs> and she had this, she was so exhausted. <laughs> oh, but it's just like <laughs> brilliant. So that was her punishment. But yeah. like everyone has to be punished <laughs> differently because right. you can't yeah. right. you all so responded all, differently. Yeah, they're all they all responded different. 
Uh, she like, gonna be so Monique, mad when she hear this. Could, you know, oh you my can God. tell Monique, I'm gonna take this from you. And then Monique liked, uh, I used to do stuff like, okay, we're gonna go and we're gonna eat Monique. And so you, you can't didn't go. do your stuff? So you can't go. <laughs> oh my God. It was like, you gonna leave me? I'm with my daddy. I can't get back to <laughs> that. Me. I remember when I got that referral for punching that boy in the stomach. <sighs> and then. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I was bad. It's just acting oh, out. My grades are bad. I would be bad at school. I made it, though. I punched him in the stomach because I was telling my homegirl, Stephanie, who I like, because I like Lloyd, whatever. Mm. But he was, like, too close. Mm. He was trying to listen, so I was like, move. Get up. <laughs> we was hitting him with sticks and all this type of stuff. This we both got referrals, but mine only got processed because I had already got a referral yeah. from when I wrote them notes by the teacher who was, like, saying I hate, I hate I her when she would die. Right. Wow. And, they, and the teacher discovered the note. But she lost weight. I thought I called the fat. I saved her life. And she's still working at the school because I went and looked up staff of the week. I don't think it had anything to do with you. It knowledge. did. She she came back from school the next year like 30 pounds lighter. Okay. Probably from mm-hmm. depression. And then. <laughs> just like, oh, Lord. This shit. Probably. This girl just tore but, me. Um, so would you remember your punishment? So my punishment for that second referral was that it was movie night at the church. For you, it was youth movie night. Mm-hmm. And I had, it was two weeks that passed. They didn't call my parents. I didn't mm-hmm. say nothing. But they happened to call the same day of the movie night. So I get home, like, scot-free, two yeah. weeks, boom, boom, movie night tonight, what I'm finna wear, boom, your school call. <laughs> what they do? They call. So you got to refer to punch in my stomach? No. <laughs> you stay at home. But just to show how spoiled my dad had me. We stayed home tonight, but he ordered a movie. We, we watched Spirit, that horse movie. Oh. <laughs> and it was still lit. I think he had popcorn. Like, he made me feel better because I was like. Just bad. I, I have asthma. It would just be so We could go on for man. days. But, yeah, that's. It's so funny how different in the same we all are, but it's just, mm-hmm. you had to, my mom had a different approach. And then, like, the times, too, because I grew up more yeah. the mm-hmm. 2000s. Yeah. yeah. So they were different. Yeah. So yeah. then uh, my mm-hmm. final question is, you know, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I know a lot of girls who mm-hmm. they're just now having a good relationship with their mother. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. If, I, I, I don't know if it's just the fact, like, they're just both, you know, like, mm-hmm. that they just butt heads, yeah, that they're so much alike that mm-hmm. they butt heads growing up. Mm-hmm. But, you know, how was your relationship with your daughters in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, I know you said Monique was very dramatic, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think we all go through that. I think, I think all girls, uh, they have that period of time where they all hate their mothers, particularly that preteen, the tween. From about 12, 10, 11? Yeah, that 10 on to probably about 15. Wow. It's like, <laughs> yep. I can't stand you because that's during the time where they're starting to develop their identities. Yeah. Uh, and then as mothers, you're trying to really chart the course for them. Uh, they're having the peer pressure. Uh, they're trying to find themselves. And, and for each of them, the outside world became different as they progressed. Like Melanie had a lot more exposure to the Internet, yeah. uh, music videos. Uh, you know, Melissa came up, you know, she was watching the Huxtables and Moesha and, Moesha oh, and you know, that type of stuff. And so the the world outside was shaping some of that. But all girls from my daughters, all of them probably from about. Uh, 10 up until about 15 it was like I just really don't like my mom and I was really <laughs> that the, was the only ally and I'm he was you. the ally in that sense um and I was always a little more stricter anyway because I was always the structured person yeah, my husband yeah, was very yeah. free-flowing hey right. you know we gonna eat whatever today I was one of those where we got the meal plan yeah. so he and I were very different were very different in terms of 
just our personality. He was a real creative, spontaneous, adventurous person. I was very uh, ordered, very focused, um, and everything was pretty much had a plan. Uh, so for all of girls, I think in, in my girls' experience, they were all towards the tw- teenage years trying to find themselves. Mm-hmm. I give you an example, um, even with them for academics, like Melanie says, Sharon decided I was going to this uh, technology <laughs> school. Um, I did the same thing with Monique. Monique was uh, had the opportunity to go to a high school where she could work on her college classes called dual enrollment. Yep. And she went on an actual college campus where she did high school classes. Well, Monique did not want to go to the school. And so you had to have an interest exam. So Monique, I know, deliberately said, well, I ain't going to do good on the exam. Mm. So I upped her one and got her a tutor on the, <laughs> the, the math piece. And Mike had to take her to the tutors. I would be uh, with and them. Mike and Mel and Mo. We'd go to. <laughs> yep. Was it, was it, was it we would go drop her off at Mommy Day, day. and then we go to Subway. Mm-hmm. And then we drop off the SAT prep, and then we go to Fridays. Mm-hmm. So I always get tackled. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Eating good. <laughs> so for each of them, now Melissa, in fact, we did the same thing with Melissa. Melissa's high school at the time was not considered as one of the higher high schools. So we actually had a brand new high school that they built, and it was called AgriScience. And they were looking to recruit, and this was a science for girls also. And we knew that they didn't have enough girls for that particular program. So we transferred Melissa to that school. That's how she ended up at high school, in high school, at the school she went to. And she ended up going into the agri-science program when she went to FAMU because it gave her scholarships and free money to go. Yeah. Didn't want to be in the program at all. Uh, but we made Same decisions thing like that uh, with Monique. Melanie didn't want to yeah. be in technology. Monique didn't want dual enrollment. Uh, Monique graduated high school with a superior uh, uh, superintendent's diploma plus like 48 credit hours or college credit hours. Uh, so during those periods of time where they were like, my mom is trying to trying to uh, tell me what to do and trying to control my life, I had to make a lot of decisions about their future in terms of how we were yeah. guiding them with their future. And my husband was always like, all right, I'm down, and it required both of us to be committed to it because it meant we had to drop them off, we had to pick them up, we had to have all these resources like Melanie. We had a school right down the street, but we went across town to drop her off. Had to ride yeah. that bus. Remember they were having me all the way bus, over there? Right. So when we made a commitment to guide them, we were all in, and and that's what they saw with us. But I think that parents have to know, how far to go with their children. And then there was some trusting with our children and our kids. They would, they would be resistant at the beginning, but we would provide them with all the support. And we've yeah. seen in the end, the paths that they followed have been, uh, they trusted us through the process. And through the process, it's not that it was always easy. It requires sacrifice on the whole family. Yeah. Uh, but we, we, we decided when we had children that we would be totally committed to them. Yeah. And that's what, that's what our journey has been, both as a, I have been as a wife and, and the same with my husband as a husband. Uh, whatever they needed, they got it from us. If we couldn't get it, we had access to people with resources to do certain things, like tutoring, like SAT prep. Uh, like uh, I remember the story with Melanie when my husband passed away. Melanie was preparing for the high school exam. Um, graduation test. Graduation test. And, Literally the week before. And it was the week before she missed the test. We had one of my uh, friends who was a science, was she a science teacher? Mm-hmm. Actually came during the process as we were at the house tutoring her to make sure she had the information. Uh, and it worked out well for her. So I passed everything with honors and AP. Yeah. So we have, um, I think as a parent, not having a manual, not knowing how, not 
really, um, you get all kind of advice. Uh, but you have to respond to each child as they have been individually created, mm-hmm. and they're all very different. So. Yeah. I mean, I can I can ask questions for days because okay. I, I just well, I'm not going to, okay. <laughs> but um, I just don't mm-hmm. you know I just I don't know if um, I don't know if our generation talks enough to the elders, mm-hmm. and I think that's something like I've just always been big on is just like you know asking you know kind of small nuanced questions to you know those who came before me, mm-hmm. and it's been it's been nice to hear you know your stories right. and. You know, I'm just surprised Melody's made it this far from how uh, <laughs> I, I was bunch of boys in the st- I, <laughs> just I was no, elementary but. school, yeah, elementary and middle school. Mm-hmm. I was bad, but by the time I moved to Georgia, when it really would have been me being bad in high school, would have been mm-hmm. really bad for my future. Yeah. I moved to Georgia and I was afraid of getting jumped and shot. So I, yeah, I had made the principal's thug. honor roll. No, seriously, when I went to MLK, principal's honor roll. I got I got perfect attendance for the first time in my life. Like. <laughs> Cleaned up my act. I was just in principal's office <laughs> yeah, in early Christ. 2007. <laughs> yeah. Fully saved in class. Yes, ma'am. No. Mm-hmm. Doing work. I was doing homework for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. I had no friends. I had nothing to do. So was... definitely cleaned up my act. Like moving was beneficial to me. It wasn't like I was out smoking weed. Nothing. Yeah, no. I was just, just I had a smart, yeah, I was mischievous. I had a smart mouth. Like I would have my teachers dry erase markers and be like, yeah, what? Well, I did it. Um, real suburban bad. Yeah, I was suburban. I was like <laughs> yeah, white kid was, bad. Yeah, she was. She was, you know, she was in a mixed multiple. But I would school. get in trouble because I was a black one. Like mm-hmm. with the notes, I was the only one that got in trouble with, you know, hiding the markers and the, the bad notes in class. I would be the one to get in trouble because I was the black one. Yeah. So, it's reality. Well, yeah, they, well, they share with us that, I don't know if you know Melanie's story where she was uh, double promoted when she went from first grade to third grade. Mm. Uh, and that was one of the concerns that the psychologist shared with us as well. You know, we may have some maturity issues. So some of it was just Melanie being her age. Okay. She was with children that were older than her. Yeah. So while she may have been, and in some cases they were two years older than her, so she was doing stuff according to her age. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. And That's so I, my husband and I kind of realized that. So It's like I'm mature but immature at the same time. immature at the same time. Right. So, she was, uh, in, in, in age-wise, she was really doing things that if she had been with her peers, it would have been de- deemed as normal okay. or natural with her typical peers yeah. versus some of the kids she was with who were a couple of years older than her. Yeah. Uh, but she was able to hold her on, um, and we found that as we gave each one of them support, they were able to thrive in each of the environments we put them in. Yeah. And the same held true for Melanie here in, in Georgia. That was our greatest concern is... They had always been in multi-ethnic communities and environments, and coming to an all-black environment was Oof. a shock. I mean, it was just Jesus. So, so, but it prepared for FAMU. It, it did. <laughs> it was like homecoming every day. Yep. So, so we're we're just excited that we now have uh, children who are making their mark in the world, mm. and we're hoping that somewhere along the line, along the way. We did something to shape them so that they can, in turn, impact the world. Yeah, yeah it's been mom. very clear mm-hmm. that you and your husband mm-hmm. were very intentional and very forth, forth, like had a lot of forethought mm-hmm. in what you did for your children. Mm-hmm. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's just so critical as a parent. You yeah. know, so I think a lot of parents nowadays, mm-hmm. and I'm speaking as a non-parent, so I don't mm-hmm. know how stressful mm-hmm. it is. <laughs> but I see a lot of kids with iPads. I and, 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 I'll look and at a child phone. and get stressed out. I'm like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> look away. Looking too long and, to get pregnant. And it looks like the child is on cruise control, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah. you 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 all didn't have that. You know, no. you, you had to be very active with your kids, and you all yeah. were very thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any last words, you know, of advice you would give to you know mothers mm-hmm. who, 
I mean, just mothers in general, you know, if they're... Or a girl waiting for her period to come. (laughs) (laughs) A mother who, you know, like, her daughter's at the stage, I hate you, mom, like, you know, it's it's a lot. I think think you have to, as a mother, trust that God is giving you the instincts that you need, Uh, but you have to decide that you are going to parent. Mm. Um, and I, and that's one of the things I share with people oftentimes is you can't just give that. You don't get one chance with your kids. Mm. Uh, and if you miss it, you, you might, you don't get a do over. Uh, but you have to decide that when you bring a child into the world, whatever those circumstances are, you have to give it your all, uh, because you're going to make a difference on whether that child succeeds or not. And so, but parenting requires participation. And if you're going to be disconnected, I see the same thing with kids. They're just swiping. I saw a little boy today in the hair salon. He wasn't even looking up. He was just swiping an iPad. I mean, nobody was paying him any attention. There was no, and, you know, the, all of those were the key pieces for us, uh, communicating, eye contact, cognitive skills. You can't get any of those when you're isolated. And as a result, we are finding children who are toddlers that are not going to have uh, skill sets that allow them to, participate in life because they're so disconnected that's real mm-hmm. so that would be my my greatest advice advice for someone who is talking about having children or in the midst of parenting uh once you commit to to parenting and then you just trust in the lord that he'll guide you as you go along the way that's beautiful well momsy right. thank mm-hmm. you so much for coming um mm-hmm. well not coming but being on our show <laughs> thankfully i have to drive across town to record today um, yeah, I just want to thank you for just being an amazing mom and this really gave me more insight to you as a mother because I never really thought, you know, you never think it's my mom. You really take advantage of people when they're there. Like, um, and I think, you know, losing my father at 15, you know, right before I left for college, a year before I left for college, that definitely made me, us, me and my sisters appreciate you more and just yeah. be more intentional with our relationship with you and spending more time because you all we got. Um, I was going to get some questions about, like, Losing the husband, but I didn't want to feel like dealing with that today. I just couldn't uh, mentally. Um, okay. Yeah, but thank you so much. Um, thank you and Dad for raising us the way that you did. You know, I think I turned out pretty decent. You know, healthy. Jury still out. Got all my teeth. You know, uh, um, yeah. you did you a good no job. Baby. I just really, no. No. I don't. Mm-hmm. Praise God. Um, yep. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just really grateful. Just, you know hearing the past hour and a half of the conversation just like wow like this is my mom i'm yeah. just looking like i came you, from yeah. this you body realize how much forethought she mm-hmm. you know like. you know yeah you really put thought into it you really did push us i remember the conversation like yeah i found this school at columbia mm, i think it might be good mom no we're gonna go mm, <laughs> not really sure went mom's kind of gun shoddy um <laughs> bang bang just pushing me and pushing i remember monique going to the school um you know melissa was much older she was I should be getting her Mother's Day cards, too, because she helped raise me. Cause, you know, people think she's my mom anyway when we out. It's really funny. Um, but, yeah, I'm just really grateful. I'm really grateful. Um, this is a great Mother's Day gift to me, even, just to appreciate my mother anymore, just understand how much a gift my mother is. So I'm going to have to go flip some bricks and buy mom a house for, um, in, in time for Mother's Day on Sunday. Aww. So um, you probably know what flip bricks means. Bless your heart, because you probably would react way differently. Um, <laughs> you don't. I'll send you clips of all the other things she says. Don't, okay, don't look that up, mom. But, um, yeah, love you. Thank you, Bonnet Wisdom. Appreciate your mother if she's on earth. Um, Appreciate your parents, period, if they are on earth. If you have both parents in your life, that is 
such a blessing um voice getting a little cracky it was you know thud though but yeah just allergy season allergies you know pollens dust in the living room so um yeah just appreciate people especially mother's day well mother's day been passed by now but um next mother's day make sure you be out here i guess um for my reflection um you know this is a, it's a lot easier said than done for me you know i have I, I have a good relationship with my parents but you know, I think it's important that we forgive our parents if we feel, you know, there were some areas they dropped the ball um, because, uh, you know, I think this they still have an opportunity to be great grandparents. And, you know, I don't think, you know, I, I'm, in, in some cases, if you can, I, I think it's important to repair and maintain that relationship. Mm-hmm. So do that. I just want to shout out my mom, Darlene. Mm-hmm. Uh, love you. You know, shout out to all my aunties. Um, you know, shout out to all my friends' moms that ever fed me in their house. Yeah. Uh, you know, and just shout out to everybody. Shout out to all the mother day. figures, even if you have yeah. aren't biologically a mother, but you've been a mother figure. Thank you. Um, yeah, shout out to all. I don't want to forget nobody, but the aunties, the the monikers, the godmamas, yeah. the play cousins. Yeah, yeah. just the, the church mamas. Yeah, yep. all the big mamas. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, all of that. Thank you so much because you just don't realize how much you've impacted somebody, and they may not even realize what you have. And our, and our present thoughts are with those who, you know, maybe celebrating their first or whatever number of Mother's Day without their mother. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's not physically here, but, you know, mm-hmm. her memory, the memories you all shared and created, mm-hmm. you know, I think, um, are, you know, last way beyond the flesh. So, you know, we hope you all had a good good weekend. Um, I enjoyed you. We have to do, we'll probably have to do. Well, a, you need to have like a marriage episode or something. Because that's a marriage question, but I didn't want to get too deep into it. And we would really be here all day because we're already kind of here all day. Um, looking at the time. <laughs> yeah, but y'all seem to like the longer episodes. They've been yeah, liking it. Yeah, it did. It did pretty well the other day. So, yeah. um, thank you guys for listening. This was fun. So we might bring Shay Shay on again for another episode. Did you have fun, Momsy? I had a good time. Thank you for inviting me. And she me. was talking so much trash. She want to be on the show. I'm, I'm putting out. She want to be. <laughs> she, was she, was, very, she was very natural. Like, you know, very, oh, and mm-hmm. this and. Yep. I so, can tell when she started getting more comfortable. Let me tell you this <laughs> Right. Shay Shay had fun. She really did. So, um, you know, everybody knows I talk about my mom all the time. So maybe I can get a little chunk of who Sharon is. Um, so this is Fun's mother's podcast debut. She'll be back. Uh, maybe we can have, like, both our moms on or, like, your parents. My parents will be in town next week. Well, I won't be, so. Oh, okay. Won't be. We'll, Dang. We'll figure it out. Okay. But, yeah, funsies, thank you guys for listening, and be blessed. Mm-hmm.